Hello and welcome to the latest PlaceTech podcast brought to you in association with TP Bennett. I'm Paul Unger, editor of PlaceTech. Today we'll be digging into sustainable design and materials. Um, first, a bit about TP Bennett, headquartered in London with a Manchester office serving the north of England. It's a multidisciplinary design practice of 320 staff focusing on architecture, interiors and planning in the UK and internationally. Today I'm joined by Chris Webb, Head of Sustainability and Environmental Management Systems at TP Bennett, and by Barry Varco, Global Real Estate and Facilities Director at the Open Society Foundation. Chris, do you want to start by telling us a little bit about TP Bennett and what you do there? Sure, so we're in our uh, 100th year at TP Bennett and um, as part of that, we're really focusing on the, the next 100 years and looking to a low carbon future. Um, so my role, which I've been in for, for three years now, is really to help support my colleagues, clients, the communities, and, and perhaps most interestingly, sometimes our supply chains in trying to achieve spaces and produce materials that are as environmentally sustainable, healthy and equitable as possible. And that's also whilst uh, reducing our own footprint as a business so we can relate quite nicely to our clients as well. Fantastic, thank you. And uh, Barry, um, what does Open Society Foundation do? What is it and, and what do you do there? Um, Open Society Foundations is a, a philanthropy um, funded by um, George Soros and we um, really sort of focus on, as it says, open societies, which is about working to build sort of vibrant, inclusive societies, uh, particularly grounded in a respect for human rights, the rule of law, uh, governments that are accountable and open um, to all of the people they sort of serve and support. Um, and we do this by supporting a, a, a diverse sort of array of independent voices, uh, independent organizations around the world, um, which we sort of work in partnership uh, to create um, a, a sort of movements in civil society um, uh, the, all, all around the world. Uh, and, and my role within this is um, to head up the real estate and facilities team. We, we sort of obviously provide all the places of work for our staff and where we meet and work with our extended network around the world. Superb. Thank you, Sans. Uh, very interesting organisation. Um, Chris, tell us about the work that you've done at TP Bennett around sustainability and how you approach that and, and what you've done so far. Sure. Well, it's been very interesting for me because I came into a company that was already trying to do the right thing. We just needed a bit of a, a strategy in place and, and the correct direction of travel. So we, we went through and looked at where we thought we could make our, our biggest uh, wins. We had looked quite closely at what our impacts were as a business and also our opportunities. So the two areas we've chosen to focus upon first have been uh, producing net zero carbon designs. So we've already done a podcast with you talking about how we've reimagined some existing buildings in a net zero world. Uh, and then secondly, we've aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And that was really interesting because it made sure we didn't just focus on carbon and it made us look more deeply at how our buildings impact people, uh, the importance of equality within the design world, and also the impact of our materials on our supply chains. So we've, we've made sure we haven't just used carbon as a, a KPI, 
we've got some other factors in place too, which we'll talk about. But um, you know, it's really brought our focus in on on our supply chains more heavily than than we might have done through that process. Yeah, and and, and what what have you done specifically to start engaging with with suppliers? Well, the, the main thing we've done is we've we've talked to them, and we've we've set up a system where we can we can ask them questions. We can have an exchange of uh, information between them, and so we we look heavily at uh, different aspects of their their own supply chains, which are getting more complicated with time, which is really you know quite a difficult um, thing to understand. We were looking the other day at. Um, when Wimbledon was on, we were looking at the impact of the tennis ball and, and how it's now got a 50,000 mile journey to get from its production sites to centre court, whereas it used to just come down from Barnsley. And we're seeing the same thing going on with task chairs, with carpet tiles. So, so by speaking to our suppliers and we send them a questionnaire now, a responsible sourcing questionnaire, we can find out about their supply chains, their modes of transportation, the working conditions of their factories, if they audit them, if they go and visit them, embodied carbon numbers. And also, I think most importantly, what we can do between the clients like Barry, ourselves and the suppliers to try and improve in all of those fields. Yeah, so there's a sort of fact finding and, and getting informed stage that you go through. Um, Barry, does that echo some of the, the, the work that you've done, not only with, with TP Bennett, but as, as, as a foundation yourselves? Yes, very much so. The um, we we feel that um, as a foundation that that sort of climate action or, or climate change is critically important to so many of the uh, so much of the work that we're seeking to do in the world um, because it is changing the planet. Um, and as with a lot of change, we find that those who are currently disadvantaged suffer disproportionately through that change. Um, the, the, the sort of more, more wealthy parts of the planet are more able to deal with it or, or mitigate the impacts, uh, whereas those who are currently disadvantaged um, suffer the full force of it uh, much more quickly, which not only makes their positions worse, but then um, drives uh, some of the problems that we're, we're seeking to address. So, for example, you know, it's very simple to see that uh, a region of the world that suffers from drought more uh, is more likely going to start driving migration. Uh, and, and all the problems that flow from that. So um, we, we therefore have internalized this clearly um, in, in that we, we have to be doing the best we possibly can with, with our own operations to uh, minimize the, the carbon uh, and other greenhouse gas damage that we're doing to the planet through, through those operations. I mean, ideally, we'd love to be able to get to you know, a neutral or, or zero impact uh, or indeed actually be um, positive in terms of it, but that, that is a long, long way off. Um, and what we've been looking to do is just understand, first of all, you know, where are we now? Um, and and, and uh, obviously building off from that, what can we realistically hope to achieve with current technologies? And then what do we need to start looking at down the line towards getting to that sort of first key milestone of, of being neutral? to the planet on a net basis uh, through our operations. So that's where we've been focusing. And, and, and clearly, um, whilst there's a long list of things that, that, that we need to understand and do, um, the materials that we use um, amongst others is, is, is really, really important um, because 
that they're sort of they have a shelf life of use with you for a long time. So once you've sort of made that commitment, um, it's more expensive, more difficult to change it, and the damage has already been done. And and we feel that one of the key ways that you can um, you, you know make make the most of, of, of anything is get a good life out of it, um, yeah. and also don't use stuff that you don't need to. Um, so getting, getting it right first time. And uh, do, exactly. do you do you have operationally? You, you you mentioned there. Do you have large offices? Is this something that you're doing in, in your own property? Yes, we we've got sort of medium sized offices in, in a few few cities around the world, um, and um, they're, they're big enough um, for us to have have a scale that it's worth sort of investing in. Um, What's also interesting, though, with the property world, and one of the things we've got to think through is that um, th there's a difference uh, of the impact that you can look at and the scope you can look at, depending upon whether you own the building or whether you're leasing it from, from someone else. And if you're leasing it from someone else, is it um, the whole building you're leasing uh, or is it part of the building you're leasing? Um, so clearly, if you own the building, you can do a lot. You, you have, you know, it's within your gift to change anything subject to planning and other sort of requirements. Um, if you're leasing the whole building, you can, can't do quite as much. And anything you want to do, you've got to agree with the owner. But nevertheless, you at least got the whole building and probably a, a, a reasonable length of time to look at a return on it uh, or an impact. If you're only leasing part of a building, then not only have you got to agree what you're going to do with the with the owner, but you've got to sort of uh, agree with all the other leaseholders as well. If you're going to be looking at the uh, sort of the infrastructure of the whole building, so th there's less impact that you can make on your own. So um, you've got, we've got to be realistic with this, and and that again is why it's so important to ask the right questions up front, particularly if you're going to lease in a multi-let building. Um, and, and, you know, you need to look at uh, uh, environmental credentials as a very, very key part of your search criteria in the first place. Yeah, and we've, we've seen, obviously, the, the huge rise of globalisation over the last 50 years or so. And, and that's the, the world that we, we live in now when we're sourcing things. Chris, you mentioned about the, the, the number of parts, the number of sort of miles in, in various products. Um, are, are we talking about a, a, a radical sort of revolutionary approach where we have to source everything locally? I mean, how, how do you sort of play that out? With what's, what's the answer? That's, that is one of the toughest questions, Paul, actually. So thank you for that. What, what we don't want to do with our systems and our process to responsible sourcing is to make it so we can only specify from big companies, first off, that have got the right certificates in place to tick a box. So whilst it is really helpful if a company does know it's embodied carbon and it's been signed off externally, the last thing we want to do is pick a, pick a huge multinational, let's say, at, at the expense of a local family business, for example. So I think, as with all things, you have to take a pragmatic approach to it. I also think there's a danger with only sourcing locally. Uh, this is an e extreme example, but imagine sourcing a, a product, say, uh, from a different part of England, it's manufactured really badly, it's causing pollution, and then it's driven down to site in a, in a nice electric vehicle versus a product that's sourced from overseas, it's handmade by a local cooperative, it's doing great things to help their community, exactly the sort of work that perhaps Barry's organisation is trying to help achieve. 
and then it's it's flown over so you've got the yin and the yang there haven't you and i think you've really got to get things in a balance i mean maybe you could help with their shipping systems you could help improve their own carbon footprint and you could help you know influence the lack of a, a lesser pollution level and better performance in the in the local products i think influencing is really important paul but i think most of all the best thing we can do at the moment is be fully informed about the products ask the right questions make a decision in the round and try and then address the areas of of lower performance so i don't think it's necessarily a localism issue and i don't think it's necessarily a you can only pick the big companies with the big certificates yeah yeah and barry would you would you add to that Yes, I think that's key. Uh, at the moment, I think one of the big challenges with anything to do with the environmental performance of the building is that there's um, there's lots of technologies out there. There's lots of components that go into make a building, and you can't um, you can't avoid having to go through all the detail. It's as simple as that. You've got to do your homework. You've got to look into things carefully um track things through to where they're they're made how they're made but where, the, where they get their resources from um and look at the whole thing in the round and, and as chris says you've got to get the balance right as well as being pragmatic um again there's no point sourcing something that's um great from a, a sort of a headline sustainability point of view if it's only going to last a fifth of the time something else would uh, and you've got to replace it five times over in, in, in compared to the lifetime of, of something else. Um, uh, so you, you've got to look at it from all of these different perspectives. And then one of the other keys here, and I think something that the, um, the whole sort of architectural workplace real estate industry has to do um, is that there's very little work done on terms of how all, this, all these different um, attributes combine to make the ecosystem of the facility and how it works together. So, you know, going from things like photovoltaic cells to um, heat pumps to geothermal, um, water harvesting, district heating, um, you know, electricity use, green electricity, uh, all the materials that come and, and you can use, which are, which are recycled, um, all the operational tactics that you can do. There's a long, long list of all these things, but you've got to actually, as the person responsible for running that facility and building it and changing it, you've got to pull all this together into a workplace that is, is going to work for the organization and not, not look some like some hodgepodge that you've kind of thrown together or have systems that are not sort of providing a, um, a pleasant environment um, because you know the, 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 the ecosystem of the workplace uh, has got to work for the people in it as well and you want the, them to sort of feel that they are comfortable in it um, that they're going to be um, that, that you're also helping them have a sustainable existence because I, I think sustainability yes it's obviously about sustainability of the planet but um, you know, there's been a growing awareness in the last few years and particularly accelerated through the pandemic of things like mental health and, and that kind of thing. Um, and having a good sustainability story on the one hand is, is, is very positive for people to appreciate where they are um, is actually, you know, um, you're minimizing the impact on the planet. But at the same time, it has to work for the individual, how they're feeling, the work they're trying to do. 
um, and, and the needs that they have as an individual um, to be sustained um, and, and nurtured and cared for. So um, Absolutely. It, it is a complex system that you're trying to piece together. You still want to end up with quality buildings, don't you? And, yes. and uh, yeah. you're talking about large sums of money that uh, that are spent on mm. on uh, property projects in, in development. And, um, you know, they've, they've got to be quality assets still. Um, and yeah, it's complicated stuff. And, and I, I like the idea of sort of chipping away with the fact finding and informing yourselves, um, taking a, a thoughtful approach. And um, the, the, the S in ESG, you know, the social side, um, which you've touched on there, that maybe sometimes people forget about and, and social value and having that um, emotional alignment, I guess, and of uh, getting people on board as well. It can't just be, it can't be punitive that you're punishing people by uh, by making it a greener building, but actually it's less pleasant or it's more hostile to to live or work in. Um, how, how do we get people on on board then? What's the sort of advice or what's the approach uh, you talked about just starting to engage with the with the supply chain um, Chris have you had results yet in that you've seen where something's worked or, or where the sort of penny drop moment is with people I think it works both ways doesn't it you know trying to get the right environment in the first place versus um, creating a building that gives gives the right atmosphere off too so I mean, a good thing about asking questions about materials and pushing hard to get your energy systems correct, for example, is that you can then share that with the users. But I believe that where we often make mistakes in our sector is, is not doing that, not getting the stories across. So sometimes, and, and what really does get us excited is when we speak to suppliers, we get a great story about it, or we make an intervention where you know, we think, oh, that is going to result in a, in a more sustainable workplace. And then that message doesn't reach the people using the building and the visitors. So I think if they understand, you know, the, the floor that they walk on comes from this supplier, the materials that they're interacting with, the way they're using the energy in the building has all got a sustainability story. And we've, we've looked at using QR codes to do that so people can scan and learn about the materials, the messaging as they come in. If they're in a building that screams sustainability, it will certainly influence their behaviors to make them more sustainable. And we've got a, an approach we're looking at with Barry at the moment where hopefully when people print, when they book a meeting room, when they book a taxi, they'll understand the environmental impacts of that as well yeah. as you know, the benefits that they're getting out of it. So again, they can make an informed decision. So yeah. to me, whilst we have to design out bad activities and not give people the choice in certain things, we have to just educate and influence in others. And I think that's where the, the battle's won. Yeah. Absolutely, presenting it as a as a positive and and reinforcing that that behaviour change. Hopefully, um, Barry, your your thoughts on that and getting people on board and taking responsibility around the the social and the emotional alignment. Yeah, it is um, backing up what Chris has said. Really, it is, um, and I'd say in my experience, don't assume people know. Um, and um, I can give you a sort of story from a past organisation I work with where. Um, the, the fundamental principle of, to me of environmental performance, one of the key first things to get right is um, the most environmentally friendly building is the building you don't have um, because you're using everything else to, to best effect. So basically, you know, you're not heating, lighting and running empty buildings or great tranches of buildings which are not being used. 
Uh, and of course, the pandemic is throwing this up um, in sharp relief at the moment. Um, and organizations all over the place are wondering in the future how much they actually need. But anyway, rewind to where I was a few years ago. And um, it was very clear from the, from the data that um, a lot of people weren't in the office at, at, at all the time. Um, and we were making the case for um, uh, having a more sort of efficient layout that, that also was more effective in terms of the culture, but detached people from allocated desks. Uh, and I'm not advocating that for everything, but it was, we felt right in this circumstance. And we, we got a lot of hostility and pushback um, until almost as an aside, we, we, we sort of informed people of the environmental impact of um, the sort of great amount of space that we weren't going to be heating, lighting and, and running uh, and how much the carbon footprint would come down as a result. And we saw an almost overnight change in perspective. And people were, went from being pretty hostile to very supportive of the whole thing uh, because of that one key fact. We overlooked the fact, we, you know, we hadn't told the story. As Chris said, we hadn't given people the information. We hadn't built a narrative around it. And I think that is absolutely key. Mm -hmm. um, keep them informed as to why you're doing things. You, you know, yeah. a simple thing like taking the bin from under their desk and putting recycled bins in a central spot um, is an inconvenience if you're used to just throwing your trash in the bin under the desk until you inform them about the environmental benefits of doing that. Uh, and indeed the wellness benefits of the short walk and getting up and moving around every now and then. Seeing the world through that lens, I suppose, and don't assume people are seeing exactly. that because they do welcome that, that change of, uh, of, of outlook. And yeah. you, you mentioned data there, um, and this is one of the really thorny issues that real estate is having to deal with, is how you monitor and measure energy and, and performance. Uh, and let's talk about that, that for a minute when it comes down to, to, to materials and, and, and sourcing. What, what are the approaches that you're taking uh, and advocating for, for measuring and the, the, the data around energy with, through materials? Chris, is that something you've, you've touched on with your work? Sure. I mean, buildings are responsible for such a high proportion of carbon emissions, 39% globally. And we know a third of that is from materials. So it's, it's an unavoidable fact that we need to get much better at looking at the embodied carbon of those materials. And uh, I think it's almost a bit of a loophole at the moment that there's nothing particularly to make you make you do it. So there's there's some great work going on in that sphere with the REBA 2030 climate targets that we've signed up to and Letty have done some excellent work on that too. So I think the first thing to do is is realise the importance of it and get the get that as part of your brief, which is something that, that Barry's helped us do on his particular projects is, is make sure that the the targets for the building don't just consider operations, they consider materials and, and those targets are, are there to be managed throughout. I think another another issue while we're on that topic is, is that some of the accreditation schemes don't really focus enough on those impacts either. There's not much making you, con you, you uh, record your embodied carbon numbers and reduce them. So when we do our responsible sourcing now, we have a process in place where we ascertain the embodied carbon numbers for the key building elements, architecture, architectural elements or interior, interior design elements. And we've got a good idea now from getting all this data what a good and a bad number is. So we can use that in our decision-making process. We try to go on the environmental product declarations. 
with that to give us that information. But as we were saying before, we don't want to rule out the companies that just haven't got there yet on those certificates. So we've also got a process where we can work with the suppliers to try and help them either obtain a certificate or to calculate the numbers themselves, which is actually one of the most rewarding things because you can see their environmental performance getting better, their knowledge of themselves getting better, and then actually then becoming a more marketable business too. So, so the measurement is really important and the reduction is important. And it's one of our many KPIs that are in our net zero carbon drive. Yeah. And you want people to see the value of it in, in every respect and, and to make value-based decisions. So it's, it's good to hear about that virtuous circle of seeing it as a market, more marketable and uh, the savings that they're making. Um, obviously, we hear about values as, as well from the investor side and the saleability of buildings and then they're not becoming stranded in years to come because they're not sustainably responsible. Um, does that uh, chime with, with work that you've been doing, Barry? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is a game where we've um, been grateful for T.P. Bennett's insights and, and, and working with us. Um, uh, if I take a, to a new pro- new building project we've got um, working with, with T.P. Bennett at the moment, you, you know, one of the key focuses has been to, wherever possible, use reclaimed or recycled materials. Um, so, you know, they're there, they're in existence. Don't stop them going to a landfill or being broken apart and use them because they still have a very long shelf life. And actually they have a, um, a texture and a quality of their own. Um, um, so, you know, they, they look good. It's not like you're taking second best. And then the second thing as well, or, or of, of many, is, is that um, t- take um, a, or try and break this um, just throwaway society that, that we have when things break. Um, so one of the things that, you know, I must admit, I hadn't really thought about, but um, T.P. Bennett came up with as an idea or Chris came up with an idea is put a workshop in, in, in your new building, um, which is the sort of thing that modern offices tend not to have. Um, and, and the reason being, see what you can fix rather than, you know, if a chair breaks, just throw it away and replace it with a new one. Why not try and fix it? Um, mend things rather than just take them off, discard them and get a new one in. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that's the approach we're taking. Um, it, you know, go back 50 years to the way the world operated then um, and uh, tr- try and make the most of stuff. Yeah. Maximise the utilisation of it. Don't first of all, waste the planet's resources by throwing it away. And by the way, it goes into landfill and causes another problem. Absolutely. That's a a real human instinct these days, a reflex, isn't it? To buy your way through any problem. It's just uh, jump online, order it, get a new thing tomorrow rather than make do and mend. And, you know, for those listening, um, interested in a, a sort of summary piece of advice and, and, and in particular, how do people stay positive given that, when they start on the journey, they might see this great daunting um, road ahead. And, and how do you not sort of become paralyzed and say, oh, it's too big, you know, and fall into a pit of despair? How, how do you to stay positive and start, start doing things? Any advice for those listening? For me, I'd say you can make so much change. It's, it's not a closed book at the moment, sustainability, is it? We've got so far to go. It's constantly evolving. And I think for that reason because it is a relatively new field, there's so much you can do to make a difference. I think also we've had the past where, you know, it was it was almost a joke subject, wasn't it? We were swampy and tree huggers. And now 
people really see the value in it, don't they? And, you know, it's a serious job with serious impacts. So by taking a job in sustainability or by being interested in it, championing it from the top, as somebody like Barry does, you can really can make a difference. So by building it into your day-to-day job, sure, it's daunting, but think what you can do. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks. And Barry? Um, I, I think my, my summary would be, look, you know, if not now, then when? Um, every day you only have to turn the news on and you see that climate change and the impact on the planet and our lives is a very clear and present danger, um, to, to borrow the phrase. So we, we have to do something. And clearly within our organisation, uh, it, is a, it is a driver of a lot of the ills in the world that we're seeking to address so it would be totally hypocritical of us not to do it um and 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 that's just avoiding a negative reason um obviously there are massive benefits of wanting to do it anyway and that's what we're motivated by yes you're right there is almost a daunting list of stuff that that you you know you can do also to get to the you know the zero the net zero um, there is still a big gap by our, our reckoning in terms of what current technologies can do and where you need to get to. But that's not an excuse not to start. Um, and um, it's a bit like an endless marathon, but you've got to take it at a sustainable pace as well. But start and get going and do the stuff that is clear and obvious and easy. And there is a lot that doesn't take a lot more than a change of attitude to put in place. Then as you start progressing, you can start getting your infrastructure right and, and more conducive towards better performance. Uh, and again, take a pragmatic long-term view and start working on it. And you'll be surprised how quickly you can make change. Um, and the other key thing is don't just tack it on as an afterthought or something you'll do for five minutes at the end of the day. Build it in consciously to everything you're doing. Um, make it a particular lens, a focus and resource it. Uh, and then it will happen. Uh, and, and then you, we, you, you know, you will start making a big difference. Um, and um, the, the final comment is, is um, engage with people. You know, it's, it's a change. So you have to take them with you. Um, it, it, otherwise, they'll resist and they won't understand what's going on. Tell the stories, uh, share the journey um, and share the successes with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful stuff. And I think those businesses that really welcome it will be the ones that thrive and flourish in the years to come. Um, and uh, yeah, make a, make a start today. Um, thanks, Chris Webb at TP Bennett and Barry Varco at the Open Society Foundation. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Place Tech podcast. I've been your host, Paul Unger. This episode was brought to you in association with TP Bennett. For more information on TP Bennett and the services they provide, please visit tpbennett.com. Thank you.